Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by RCAT. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity. Yeah, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike Branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces. Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually and putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. The, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detailed today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story and we are here to tell it. I would like to design a green room in my car. <laughs> Like, like who gives a shit? <laughs> oh my gosh, you're like drunk tired. I love it. It's like midnight. It's almost one. Oh, it's one a.m. I know. Right, let's well, go. I mean, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Lego. Hey there, and welcome back to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season, we will be discussing business bosses and leaders. In today's episode, we will talk about Dorothy Draper. She is considered to be the first to establish interior design to be a profession and to have the first interior design company in the United States. I'm Jessica Rogers, waiting to eat a burger based out of Miami, Florida. Hey there, I'm Lizzie Rar, looking forward to doing some quilting in San Francisco. And I'm Nerjiti Rivas. I cannot wait to learn about Dorothy and then shower and go to sleep after this in Houston, Texas. It's past my <laughs> bedtime. <I'm> tired. <laughs> it's okay, we'll get through this. But I'm yeah, excited it's... for the story. Yeah, I'm surprised we're here, guys. So, Let's do yeah. it. We're going to do what to do. Now for our disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us, leave us a comment, and we will all continue learning together. All right. So, ladies... I hope you have your debutante gowns, white gloves, and your petticoats left. Huh? Because today we are dabbling in the world of the rich and famous. Okay. Ooh, pour me a dry martini and let's get this ball started. Oh my, my. <laughs> let me ready myself. Yes, honey. Gracious. The levels, <laughs> the levels, the levels of fabulosity in this episode will be unmatched. Okay, so let's begin. <clears throat> I have to do my. I want to mention that this is voice. a sort of listener episode requested. It was serendipitous this episode because uh, a listener requested it, and we were already in the works for it. So you're Love welcome, it. listeners. Just Keep keep asking yeah. for more. We give it to you. We give it to you. Okay. Dorothy Tuckman was born on November 22nd, 1889 in Tuxedo Park, New York. Have y'all ever heard of Tuxedo Park? Does anything come to mind? <laughs> I mean, 
talk about being born into wealth. Can't get any more high class than being born in Tuxedo Park. I mean, what kind of <laughs> fancy place is that? <laughs> yeah, they were like, we need to let everyone around us know just how wealthy we are by naming our town something classy. Classiness so classy. only. <laughs> well... It is said that this place was the birthplace of the tuxedo. Oh, okay. It, mm-hmm. appropriate. Appropriate. Yep, there it is. Yep. Uh, on brand. It's also considered one of the first gated communities in the United States. For it to be just 40 miles outside of New York City, Tuxedo Park was the place for the social elites to live in these cottage style homes. AKA mansions. Oh, wow. <laughs> Is that an oxymoron? <laughs> like a cottage style mansion. But yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I just Googled it. <laughs> I mean, I'm picturing something like the Hamptons. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it feels like a lot of houses in River Oaks. The, the River Oaks is a, a fancy place of town in Houston. It's like our tuxedo place. <laughs> I see. <laughs> and they have like these cottage style looking mansions. <laughs> Just still like these pictures like I'm seeing. <laughs> I know. It does it still sounds like an oxymoron. But okay, listen. I'm trying to paint the picture of where this our homegirl came from. Okay. She came from money, y'all. Well, Got I it. think you're doing a good job, yeah. Yep. Okay, great, great success. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So Dorothy was the daughter of Paul Tuckerman, who was the descendant of Oliver Walcott, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Oh, so maybe she was one of those daughters of the revolution like Lizzie. Is that what the group is called? (laughs) (laughs) Daughters of the American Revolution, the D.A.R. I was close. Yeah, like that. Like Emily Gilmore. That's right. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, for nine years, Dorothy would be an only child and her family would call her Star. Eventually, her parents would have a son, Roger, that would become the father of Nancy Tuckerman, who would become Jackie Kennedy's White House social secretary. And well, actually, she was basically her bestie for my research on Nancy. They would grow up together. Oh, man. All these connections. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. First of all, I had no idea that there was a social secretary. Yeah. Does does every important person in the executive branch get a social secretary or just the first lady? Or did they make up that position for Jackie's best friend? (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely something that the first wives get or the first spouses. Um, And they help. This person helps them with all of their like first ladies or uh, events, events. Yeah. yeah, For all their social events. So Jackie had one social secretary, but then eventually she requested for her bestie to join her, a.k.a. Dorothy's niece. Do you think Doug has a secretary, a social secretary or maybe not because he's the second gentleman, not the first? I mean, I think it comes with this position. So I'm sure uh, the vice president's spouse, or in this case, the second gentleman would have one. I do wonder what kind of parties he would throw as the second gentleman. But all I know was the Kennedys had some fantastic parties. And this was just Dorothy's niece. I'm telling you, Dorothy's family just came from money. Even just briefly looking at her maternal side of the family. They were merchants. They owned steamship companies that they were also a part of the Panama Canal Railway Company. Money. Money, 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 money. Money. <laughs> money. Okay, so I just wanted to give you guys some insight into Dorothy's life because her upbringing would be similar to our episode five lady, Mariana Griswold Van Rensselaer. Mariana was a landscape architecture critic and full of money and privilege. 
You like talking about rich ladies, Jessica, don't you? Yes, I'm sensing a theme, right? I, I mean, I love talking about the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Okay, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Um, maybe I don't know. You know, live vicariously through them. Okay, but anyway, so basically, as an American aristocrat slash social elite, Dorothy was expected to get a basic education taught by private tutors and whatnot, and of course, travel to Europe and being all fancy like. As one does. Yeah, I mean, elite and glamour is all Dorothy. She was six foot tall beauty, looked like a movie star, and hanging out in all the right circles. So, yep, at the age of 23, Dorothy would marry Dr. George, nicknamed Dan Draper. Oh, a doctor. Okay, but is Dan a nickname for George? That's the weirdest one I've heard yet. It must be a middle name. Like, maybe. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I didn't pay that much attention to his name, but what I did find was that not only was he a doctor, but he was the BFF of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. This doctor. Dr. Dan Draper specialized in treating polio. So actually, he is the one that's credited to be the president's doctor that helped treat his illness. Okay, you know, just a casual connection. I mean, all these rich people know each other. I know, right? This this is what's going on in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, rich people know rich people. They really do. They really do. They really do. I guess middle class people know us middle class people. <laughs> you know? That's why we know each other. <laughs> Such insights. As we you know them all. <laughs> we know them all. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. What's up? Okay. Well, anyway. Okay. So after getting married, Dorothy and George would move to Manhattan in a gorgeous brownstone just around the corner from where the Roosevelt's lived, which, by the way, I also found out that Eleanor Roosevelt was Dorothy's cousin and her childhood friend. Oh, gosh. This this is what I'm telling you. Everybody (laughs) knows everybody. All the rich people. They just know each other. There's just not enough yeah. of them. There's only like 1%. That's true. <laughs> that's oh, how that, they know that, each that, other. <laughs> that's the key. That's You just nailed it right there. There's only that 1%. That's we need more rich know. people. I want to be rich. rich yeah, me too. I want to know. Do you know? Like, yeah, not really. <laughs> I mean, I want money. But anyway, <laughs> I don't know if I I could be rich with life. I am rich, rich with life. Okay, anyway, I I said a gorgeous brownstone because obviously we're talking about a woman that would be later that, you know, she knew the Roosevelt's. She wasn't living in a brownstone shack. She was living in a gorgeous brownstone. <laughs> and this woman, she would later be called the original Martha Stewart, if you catch my drift. Oh. And that's a quote. Oh, wow. What a title. Fabulous. Yep. Yep. Okay. Dorothy was all about making the world a better place while her husband cured diseases and her bestie slash cousin's husband was off becoming president. Dorothy believed the and this is a quote. (laughs) Your home is the backdrop of your life, whether it's a palace or a one room apartment. End quote. So early in her marriage, she would begin renovating this Manhattan brownstone that they moved into. Well, I have to say, I completely agree with Dorothy. I mean, we spend, what, 60% of our lives where we live, maybe more now with pandemic and work from home, all of that. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that's one of the reasons I always really liked residential architecture. I mean, where you live should function well for you, just like any public space. I wish I could find photos of this place, but to neighbors and friends, it would just be nicknamed the Upside Down House because, yeah, let me explain. Because she basically pushed and extended the first floor of the house to take up the backyard space, right? She would then, in turn, she would open up 
the interiors to allow for, say, a hundred close friends slash guests to hang out in her fabulous parties that Dorothy would throw. I'm like, my brain first went to, this sounds like a project that happened before zoning laws. No setback requirements. She just pushed the first floor (laughs) to the backyard. Goodbye. Like, take it out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to say strange tangent alert. We need a sound for that. (laughs) I don't know what it is. I don't know. I just finished binging Stranger Things. So my Uh. first thought was that her house was possessed by the flare or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Like you go inside the house and the mind flare can find you now. Is that? Yeah, like you're in the upside down. I did. Well, I will say I also just started the new season. And when she said upside down house, I was like, oh, yeah. Stranger. You went there. You see, I did. I did. (laughs) Yeah, that's some scary stuff. But Jessica's explanation makes more sense. It kind of sounds like the Great Gatsby sort of house. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with that instead of the uh, whatever y'all talking about. With the Mind <laughs> um, Flayer and the Demodogs? You don't want that? Yeah, no. no this well, Remember, <laughs> debutante gowns, dramatinis. We're taking it away. Fa- <laughs> fabulosity. Not whatever y'all talking about. Yeah. Okay. Think more Great Gatsby, okay? All right, all right. Because uh, basically the reason why it's called the Upside Down House and not whatever y'all talking about is because she basically took that garden that was in the backyard and she moved it to be on the roof of the first floor extended area. So you get it, taking it from the first floor to the top. Okay, I understand the name better now. And I'm imagining Gatsby-esque parties everywhere. Yes. Okay. Yes, classiness. You know, talking about green roofs, I would like to design a green roof in my career. They're just so nice and they help catch rainwater and there's so many good things about them. A lot of constraints, too, but that's OK. Just saying green roofs. It's where it's at. Good job, Dorothy. <laughs> it's where it's at. And, you know, the, we're just getting started. Right. And there's also. OK, so the popularity of the upside down house would become basically Dorothy's launching point for her career. People respected Dorothy's social status and her connection brought a lot of great appeal to the elite. They wanted Dorothy's help to renovate their own spaces. That's so much fun. Her house was like her portfolio. Yeah. I think that I know a few interior designers that started their careers in this organic way. Like, yeah, doing a little bit of this in their home and a little bit of for a friend, you know. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Boom. And that's how it starts. OK, so like in 1925, Dorothy or Dee Dee, as a lot of folks nicknamed her. Dee Dee! Dee Dee would start her business from her home called Architectural Clearinghouse, which was kind of like an agency where Dorothy would pair architects with high affluent society women that wanted to renovate their homes. Wait, that feels like a U-turn. Why was she recommending other people? Was it because the projects were some large renovations, space planning and structure involved? Like she didn't want to get touched that? Yeah, like, it sounds like she became a dating service for architects. I'm confused <laughs> about this turn of events. Yeah. Okay, l- let me let me explain. Okay, so what it kind of was like a... A, like dating, a dating service dating for architects. Service for architects. <laughs> that sounds like a good service, though. <laughs> right? Right? Slash clients, though. It was kind of like she was a, like a matchmaker. Yeah. Right. Well, that's, that's what I mean. For, that's, so is that yeah. what it was? But for both, because they mutually wanted services done or performed. But let, but let me uh, preface that Dorothy was the type that didn't like to feel restricted. OK, she wanted to escape the shackles of the gated communities of the country's elite, <laughs> such as Tuxedo Park with her husband. The shackles. With her husband, the one that treated the president, she wanted to live in the gritty arena of the Upper East Side. (laughs) 
to challenge social norms. So she didn't want to deal with annoying clients fulfilling their requests when she wanted to design boldly. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, so that's why she didn't want to deal with clients. And basically her architecture matchmaking business would become Dorothy Draper and company where Dorothy would design instead of people's homes and whatnot, she would design hotels and resorts because basically hospitality was more of her game. Okay, I get it. So she liked the big scale work, which was probably not a greeny arena that a lot of women were involved in. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. so she just didn't want to answer to individual clients who had their own like preferences. Also, Mm -hmm. the Upper East Side is so gritty. I mean, tell me about it. (laughs) Oh, you guys caught that? You yeah. caught that? Okay. I think well, we did. She's really slumming it. <laughs> slumming it. Okay. Well, anyway. Maybe Dorothy, when you come from Tuxedo Park, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. People don't wear tux- uh, tuxedos every day? What? <laughs> um, anyway, Dorothy would love the creative freedom of designing hotel lobbies and large communal spaces. She would say, big projects for a big personality. <laughs> Maybe I'll start telling my bosses that I need big projects that fit my big personality. Please and thank you. <laughs> Let us know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, please. Please report back. Uh, you know when I'm fun employed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. So anyway, in 1928, Dorothy would take on the lobby of the Carlisle Hotel. A project she got f- through her friend, a real estate magnate, Douglas Elliman. Okay, so are there any real estate folks out there? This name should sound familiar. Or if you're not into real estate like that, are there any fans of the million dollar listing franchise on Bravo like me? This name should also ring a bell. I think that in this audience right here, right now, there are no big fans of any of that. Nope. I have no idea Never who heard Douglas, of Douglas is. Yeah. Nope. But it sounds like a big deal that Dorothy was working on a big deal hotel. Yeah. I'm right? excited that you're excited. Yeah. 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 Tell us. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I, okay. So Douglas Elman, I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name right, but this firm this uh, brokerage is a huge brokerage, like top, I don't know, top five, maybe top real estate brokerage worldwide, at least in the United States. If you're a fan of Million Dollar Listing New York and L.A., um, Frederick, that's the that's the brokerage that he works for. Oh. Anyway, I cool. I love the show. But anyway, uh, <laughs> The name, it rang a bell because it cool, still cool, exists cool, today. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, okay. This is just, uh, I'm just going to give you an idea of the aesthetic of the lobby, okay? okay? Because the lobby of this hotel had these bold black and white marble floor tiles. Love it. The space had this gorgeous chandeliers and marble columns, oversized mirrors, satin and velvet furniture everywhere. I wouldn't have imagined anything less decadent for Dorothy. It's so true. She wouldn't have left her fabulosity behind over in Tuxedo Park now that she's slumming it in the Upper East Side. No way. I know that's right. Mm-hmm. You can't you can take the girl out of Tuxedo Park, but you can't take the Tuxedo Park out of the girl. That's right. That's right. Okay. So what was great with these commercial developers that and architects that she was working with was that they trusted the quote Draper touch. Oh. Which yeah. And working with mostly men, obviously, because we're talking about developers, they appreciated the feminine touch that Dorothy could provide to these spaces, her reputation and her societal connections. They knew that with her help, she would be able to bring in future customers and consumers. Ooh, that Draper touch sounds like a good slogan. 
So she was being rightfully recognized for her unique talent and hard work. I like this a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like she had a lot of clout. Oh, yeah. And that project, the Carlisle Hotel, would basically solidify her life's work, right? Because originally these hotel lobby spaces, you know, they were seen as these bland pass through places that you didn't want to stay in too long. But Dorothy would transform them into eye catching gathering spaces, a standard that I believe you can see now in most modern hotels that try to create models of like what do they call it? Hotel living as a lifestyle where guests can feel like they belong in a place that is miles away from their homes. So are you saying Dorothy started the concept of like fancy hotel lobbies? That's crazy. Yep, that's true. I just I cannot imagine a fancy hotel with a bland entrance or lobby. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. In Puerto Rico, growing up, we would hang out in the lobbies of the hotels just because it was nice to be in there. (laughs) (laughs) There was air conditioner. Yeah. (laughs) It was pretty. I actually like checking out hotel lobbies sometimes when I'm traveling. Mm -hmm. I just walk into the hotel. Yeah. Maybe that's weird. But you guys just agree with me. So maybe it's not that (laughs) weird. It's not weird at all. (laughs) I appreciate Dorothy so much more now because she changed my life. <laughs> I didn't she, even know. She brought you life changing hotel lobbies. Yeah. yeah. What was I going to do if not that? <laughs> Just pass through them. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy that she's the one who started it. I feel like hotel lobbies and then eventually restaurants, right, are a big draw for even non-guests. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you're saying, Nergidi, right? Like people go to visit hotels just to kind of like hang out in the lobby have dinner and that kind of thing some drinks yeah they're just like being Mm -hmm. welcomed by this great lobby space it would be weird if that didn't exist exactly okay so that project was in 1928 she would also work on another project which proved that great style doesn't necessarily have to be for those elite hotel goers because okay so in the same year she would take on a renovation to a group of tenement houses on the far east side of manhattan not to downplay what she did but y'all she basically painted the exteriors black with white windowsill trim and changed the gross hallways to a more refreshed area with beautiful wallpaper and floral carpets Well, yeah, we can't underestimate the power of a small change in a space. It can change the entire feel and function. Just changing the color can be really powerful. Totally. Okay, so the beauty of this was that the owners of these tenements known as Sutton Place... They were struggling to get people to rent it at only (laughs) $15 a month, which was, yeah... Uh-huh. Uh, ooh. which I guess technically today it's like two hundred and fifty eight dollars. But yeah, but it's <laughs> ooh, I'd love to have that rent. Yeah. Anyway, after Dorothy got her hands on the project, the owner was able to fully occupy this these uh, these houses with tenants at four times the cost. You see, there you go. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Dorothy, change how they see it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Dorothy had something great brewing, but then it's 1929. And you guys know what happened in 1929 yeah. in the U.S. Oh, yeah. The stock market crash. And that started the Great Depression. I always yep. remember because Rose's jerk fiance, whatever his name was, ended his life after he lost his money in the crash. <laughs> and you know what that actually happened to a lot of people so yes i'm a little bit scared of where the story's going now yeah i mean yeah it seems like kate and leo come up a lot on our podcast guys because yeah their story's relevant yeah their story's often i mean uh, kate and leo from the titanic definitely come up in our conversations all the time because there was definitely room for him. But anyway, um, 
Not so anyway, so not only did um the stock market crash in 1929, but Dorothy divorced George or Dan Draper. And well, in most of my accounts that I read, they said that George left Dorothy for another woman. Oh no. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know what? Good riddance, Dorothy, because in my brief George research I did a few minutes ago, when you mentioned him. <laughs> I learned that he was involved in eugenics. So she is mm. definitely better off without him. Oh, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. Dorothy, get out of there. Get out of there. Did they have kids? Yeah. So Dorothy had three kids. And I didn't find out much more about the other kids. But yeah, 1929 proved to be a lot. The market crashes. Her husband leaves her. She also ends up selling that gorgeous brownstones. And actually, she ends up moving into one of those houses that she renovated that I just mentioned with her youngest daughter. Oh, so she moved into the Sutton place? I hope that Mm -hmm. they gave her the friends and family discount. (laughs) (laughs) oh but that's sad to lose her portfolio piece but i guess she traded one project for another in terms of like living in your project that's true yeah yeah um and to answer your uh question energy i mean she did get a good discount because she brought in the great business you know she had turned this shabby place to something chic and beautiful yeah I hope she's living yes. for free. Uh, maybe, maybe not that far because you know she did have she could she afford it. Money. She That's could true. afford it at you know four times fifteen dollars a month, like girl. But anyway, they uh, needed more like than her. All of our, they needed more than her. <laughs> but anyway, regardless, we are talking about her, right? So, like all of our ladies on this show. This didn't get her down. Like, seriously, I think our show, it we should have it named, we should have named it She Builds Resilient Podcast or something. <laughs> because that's resilient. what our ladies are. Resilient yeah. women. Maybe that should have been the name of our company instead of She Builds LLC. Or- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. The next one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for the next business. <laughs> okay, so in a f- one of my sources that I read, it said that after her divorce, that's when she officially changed her company name to Dorothy Draper & Co. But she did start seeing this psychiatrist called Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, and he would become popular because of this book that he published called The Power of Positive Thinking. Ah, oh, good for you, Dorothy. Positive vibes are starting to come from Dorothy. (laughs) Dorothy would feel inspired by this book and to have a separate venture. That would be like the self-help correspondence course. Oh, the patient becomes the master. Mm -hmm. Interesting. This took a different turn than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that they were dating. No, I mean, <laughs> At first, I, I like when you mentioned it, <laughs> I just thought it was going to be like she was going to have this like self-awareness now and be positive about her life. Well, but that now that part is true, um, because you'll see it. You'll see how it plays out in the rest of our things. It's also really interesting that we have the season on business owners and leaders um, because she had her, you know, her little renovation, interior, hospitality, design business or whatever. And then she started to create this new business with like self-help course. Uh-huh. And this self-help course was short-lived because it ended up being a disaster, actually. Oh, no. Because she was so good that after only doing the first two issues, no one wanted to continue her course because they felt healed from Dorothy's teachings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think she just needed a wider reach, more clients. <laughs> Not yeah. it I wasn't can't a imagine. There's no way no one else needed self-help. As seen by today's interest in it. Like, <laughs> tell me about it. She was, she's, she was too early on it. She was too early. 
Yeah. She was too early. But also, I want to know what this course was, because if after the first two lessons, I feel healed, she must have <laughs> did something right, but not so right business What's sense. the secret? Like... I don't know. I, you know, I need to really find that because maybe that's what it is. But maybe self-help gurus don't want to tell you because then they, they would don't lose want you their to business. Know. She realized it exactly. was too good. It was too good. But anyway, you know, yes, it was a bummer for sure. But, you know, Dorothy, she still had other projects, you know, like yeah. her original business, which was that interior design business. Good, good. She had her business venture to fall back on. Right. Yes. And, you know, yeah, sure. Her interior design business was definitely a struggle, too. I mean, we are talking about after the stock market crash. Yeah. Um, she was able to work on these renovation projects, but they weren't getting that return like before. But again, it was the economy, right? Yeah. Of course, we remember the job market for us after the crash of 2008. Mm-hmm. Sally, architecture and interior design can be seen as a luxury, so... It's not something people feel they need necessarily. So our profession suffers greatly during a recession. Yeah, that's really true. I hope she was able to get a few projects going at least to keep her afloat during that time. Yeah, so she did. By the mid-1930s, the economy is bouncing back in a way. Mm. Hotels and resorts were becoming popular again because, which I found really interesting, staying in these like swanky resort hotels would actually be a cheaper alternative than, say, owning and maintaining your own country home or beachside villa. Yeah. You know, staying in for a couple of nights versus owning a piece of property. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Plus, the other thing that was fascinating is, you know, deciding to vacation in the U.S. at the time of, you know, the Great Depression, World Wars. It was much safer solution to stay in the U.S. than try to vacation at a war ridden country or countries in Europe. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. Okay. so I'm sure, you know, her husband's bestie, Roosevelt, had some say into it, too. But just (laughs) like atmospherically, what's happening in the hospitality industry and worldwide. This is what I saw. Yeah. As uh, what was happening. But anyway. okay. so for some noteworthy projects uh, from Dorothy. In New York, she would work on the Hampshire House on Central Park South on the West Coast. Dorothy would work on two notable projects in San Francisco, the Mark Hopkins Hotel and the Fairmont. Oh, Julia Morgan's Fairmont? I'm assuming she did a renovation since this would have been 30 years after Julia helped rebuild the hotel, right? But that's so cool that they worked on the same project. Also, yes. the yes. Mark Hopkins Hotel is a very fancy mm-hmm. uh, hotel here, too. And there's like a fancy restaurant at the top called the Top of the Mark. So our adventures list. Yeah. Yes. When we want to be fancy, because <laughs> levels to our fabulosity. Listeners, yeah. if you don't it- remember Julia Morgan, you need to listen to episode three. Yes. Uh, if you don't, what what are you doing? But anyway, this is so cool. When I found that out, I literally gasped when I saw Fairmont and Dorothy Draper's name because I had so many questions. And you know how we love a good crossover overlap just to see how our ladies may have intertwined. But also the Fairmont Hotel, it's a boutique hotel. And think about it. It was started by two sisters at the beginning like that's just the beginning of the birth of the fairmont oh i didn't know that and then, i didn't either yes i i so went into like a deep dive <laughs> but yeah i just i love the connections to this theme to our ladies it's it was great love this sisterhood of women in all aspects of the fairmont hotel yeah we need like a chart <laughs> A gr- of like people con- like all the ladies and how they're connected ooh. you know ooh yeah a web a web of that's it a web of womenosity <laughs> oh, no, I just made up a word of she builders yes um well anyway 
some of her other projects in the West Coast would be like the interiors for the Arrowhead Springs in Redlands, uh, California. That would become like a playground and escape for the Hollywood elites. OMG, I can't wait to visit all these projects. I need to visit. Fancy. <laughs> if we visit, does that mean that we're part of the elite? Yes. Yes. Or at least I'm a <laughs> pretend to be. Ostensibly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, according to how fancy these places are, we need to just to, you know. Act the part. Be. Yeah, yeah we wear our best. They sound. Exp- we wear our best. <laughs> we wear our best. They sound expensive. <laughs> Selves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they sound expensive. So we have to have, you know, anyway. Well, to answer your question, though, Nergity, yes, we can visit. Um, If you're ever in New York, we can check out the Carlisle, the Camellia House at the Drake Hotel in Chicago. You can go. And then the Greenbrier in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, is a hotel that's pretty much still intact in fact also get this her company still exists today and they come to make sure that this uh resort this hotel still looks as beautiful as it did in the beginning what yes hold the phone her company still exists this is so awesome i'm about to go on such a deep dive Let's like pause this episode right now so I can go research and let's come back Chasing in a few hours. Waterfall. <laughs> sure, but I need to go to sleep soon. But I'm gonna turn on my I need candle. to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. I need to talk to you guys about this place, the Greenbrier. Because for one, this was like the pinnacle of Dee Dee's career. Dee Dee equals Dorothy. Um, with this project, she would earn the highest pay ever given to a decorator. Okay. Uh, oh my god. Yes. Yeah, money. See, even like if she wasn't born with money, she was making money. Uh, just anyway, everything at the Green Bar is very Victorian theme and filled with red and greens, large plaster elements, which actually. I don't think I have even mentioned what her style was coined. It was coined modern Baroque. You know, think very ornate, bold, bright, and colorful. But not like a period piece ornate, but with like clean lines still. Maybe like a a la Marvel, Marvelous Miss Maisel, for those that watch that show. You know, she was definitely a maximalist, but in the most tasteful way. You know, that honestly, I still see today. Like, I think of, like, the Kelly Wesslers, you know? Yeah, that also made me think of Kelly. Modern Baroque sounds like when a client tells me they want classical modern or wood industrial. <laughs> traditional contemporary and I'm like okay <laughs> but I just looked it up and it it really does look like modern baroque <laughs> if there's such a thing <laughs> there is. honestly that is not two things I would have put together but I'm glad that Dorothy had an eye for that and that she found a way to express that and that there were people to be receptive to it. I I know a few designers that I think Dorothy would definitely influence whether they know it or not. <laughs> yeah. It does kind of sound like an oxymoron when you say that. Yeah. But <laughs> but I mean I guess that's a sign of a good designer, right? When they can merge seemingly disparate styles and then make them look purposeful and cohesive. So it sounds like Dorothy knew what she was doing. You're right. You're totally right. Mm -hmm. She definitely knew what she was doing. Um, Okay, so like one more thing about this hotel. One, the Victorian writing room once once called the most photographed room in the United States. And it's still there and looks exactly how it did back then. Oh, so can we go see it and photograph it to help it keep its status? We have to. Right. I mean, we got to keep it. It's our duty. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's still there. So how else would we know if it looked exactly how it did back then? So why not? 
Okay, so like another thing about this palace, right? Or this hotel was that when it opened, they basically had a three-day party, which was attended by the Duke and Duchess of Windsor and Bing Crosby. Uh, oh. Gee whiz. This would have made it on all the media today. <laughs> yeah, I mean that I mean they meant business with a three day party. I mean it sounds like it was probably mm-hmm. a great time. Oh yeah. And you know, like I said at the beginning of the of this episode, the levels of fabulosity of this episode, they're unmatched. <laughs> We should have made a bingo game to see how many times Jessica would say levels of fabulosity during this episode. We should have taken a shot. I I was going to say, if we did this a drinking game, everybody would be drunk. That's right. Don't don't drink and drunk. Don't uh, operate heavy machinery when listening to this episode. You might get drunk. But the levels really are. No, they they are. I just was laughing about it. We've talked about prestigious ladies before, but I think this one might definitely take the cake. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface with her, but I do want to briefly talk about just a few more projects. Um, So there's the cafeteria at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. Um, That got the Draper touch. Unfortunately, I couldn't actually find photos of that one. Um, But also one of her last projects was the International Hotel at Idlewild Airport, which is now the JFK Airport in New York City. I used to love spending my days at the Met. I went there often when I was living in New York. so. I wish I would have known this then because I would have made sure to take pictures in the cafeteria. But <laughs> yeah. next time I'm there, I'm so doing that. Or also, listeners, if you're in New York and you want to send us pictures of the cafeteria of the Met, that would be great. We'll share yes. it on social media. Please do. We'll see Dorothy Projects. Please, mm-hmm. please. Yeah, or tag us. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so... In 1969, Dorothy would pass away at the age of 80. In 2006, she would become the first interior designer to be honored with a retrospective exhibition of her work called The High Style of Dorothy Draper. That would be at the Museum of the City of New York. What a fabulous legacy she (laughs) left behind (laughs) a pioneer of modern baroque and of interior design as a profession i really enjoyed listening and learning about her today despite how late it is and how tired i am (laughs) yeah me too i mean i love hearing about all the high society but also about how she spearheaded this profession and created her own unique style that sounded like it didn't work but it did Mm mm-hmm the style worked. You'll see her influences. I believe it. Everywhere. I believe it. But okay, what I didn't tell y'all was that Dorothy had also published not one, but three books. Um, one of the books was called Decorating is Fun, and that was published <laughs> in 1939. That's cute. And yeah, right. It was basically a design manual for housewives, but it was like Kind of like the type of self-help book for insecure, like, homemakers. <laughs> and, yeah, it's cute. Her first rule of decorating was courage. You know, she that was that was her first rule, courage. <laughs> she really wanted to, like, instill confidence in homemakers. So, like, another thing that she would say in the book was that, you know, it's far better to live with disapproval of a stuffy relative than the oppression of a dark and cluttered home. I mean, I agree that decorating is fun. So the title would get me. Yeah. <laughs> right. And <laughs> I mean, like a really good read. Right. It also sounds like, though, that she kind of wrapped her self-help knowledge of her second mm-hmm. career thing into this book. And she like sort of merged them. Right. Yeah. yeah pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I like her advice. It really does take a lot of courage to listen to your design intuition and to put your ideas out there. But mm-hmm. in your home, the only person that needs to be happy is you and your family. So go for it. Be positive. 
help yourself <laughs> in your home with your decorating. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nurturedy's tired. Okay, so I do want to give a shout out to Carlton Varney. Um, Dorothy was his mentor. And he would actually be the one to carry out her legacy. And he's, you know, the current president of Dorothy Draper and Co. today. In my research, I kept coming across his name so much. And it was helpful because to learn who this woman was, it, it, I learned it through what he was able to provide. But I do want to end with this quote from Architectural Di- Digest from him. Dorothy was a powerhouse. Uh, continues Varney. But there is something that she had that most others didn't. She was glamorous with this movie star face wearing long capes and white gloves. Later it says, and was Dorothy Draper happy? Dorothy was enchanted with her life. She was doing what she liked and never had a single doubt about who she was. And let's face it, from the beginning, she had a leg up big time. Most decorators like to believe that they grew up in a big house on a hill with white columns, wore white suits and walked down to a lake with swans. Very not true. (laughs) But Dorothy did and turned it into a business. Wow. I mean, he's definitely (laughs) painting like the picture of her both as a businesswoman, but also like her personality, her upbringing. And I can Mm -hmm. see how they all came together for her to be such a lasting force in the industry. I mean, right? I mean, you're right. Yeah. (laughs) And honestly, (laughs) you're right. And also, like, I feel like some parts I might have exaggerated how fabulous she was. But I'm not the only one that thought that, like, her mentee thought the same thing. So I'm not just saying it because, you know, I'm not at the Dorothy Draper levels, you know, you know, my parents work and stuff. So we believe me, Jessica. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're not exaggerating. You're just stating facts. Stating facts. She was walking down lakes with swans and stuff. Yeah, that that really got me. I don't really wear gloves when it's cold and when I do the dishes. So uh, you, oh, don't have just... the, you don't have levels of fabulosity. That's sorry to say. Not yet. I'm working on yeah. it. I do have a, a I make my own soda you're water. So, I'm working you're, on you're slowly leveling up. Slowly leveling up. Okay. Level up, level up. Anyway, <laughs> thanks, ladies. OK, so now we have reached the second half of our episode, the karyotid. So, Nargidi, can you remind us what a karyotid is, please? A karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek style building. In each episode, we choose a karyotid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of the episode. Take it away, (laughs) Jessica. Lovely. Enchanted, darling. Enchanted. So this week's karyotid goes to... Carmion Hamilton. Carmion. Yes. Okay, y'all. I love Carmion. Okay. In my head, we are friends. <laughs> we are besties. Wow. Um, it, I've never met her before. I've only met her through. I've only seen her through Instagram. But anyway, so Carmion, right? She's based out of Memphis, Tennessee. She is what she she calls herself is an environmental curator. She's an interior designer. She is the creator of the brand and company called Newbie Interiors. Um, Also, since everybody knows I like to watch TV, she was last year's winner of the show HGTV Next Design Star. So by winning that show, she has her own show on the network and it's called Reno My Rental. So, like I said, I follow her. Yeah, it's really cool because it, it it ties back to Dorothy and I'll explain. But I follow her on Instagram before she was on the show. And I just loved her content. You know, I loved her as a designer. She herself calls herself a modern bohemian, which kind of reminds me of like Dorothy's like 
modern baroque like maximalist but like she dorothy and carmion they both do it in like a tasteful way you know i mean i'm i'm feeling a connection with dorothy can't wait to watch her show and check out her work yeah modern bohemian i i have to watch that yeah Yes. So the premise of our show is Ren- it's Reno or rental, right? So it- it's exactly what it sounds like. How can you make spaces like rentals feel more at home without, you know, but still keep your security deposit if you catch my drift? <laughs> like, because, you know, uh, or like what are easy solutions? And, um, you know, with her design aesthetic, she exudes confidence, which reminds me of Dorothy, how she did it. She also incur- wants to encourage others to find confidence in curating their own spaces, similar to like what Dorothy was saying with, um, you know, her design is fun and her design manual. Um, Carmion, for example, in one of her latest, like, well, not latest, but a few months ago, she had like a, a Instagram live where she goes on this like kind of rant where she says, put the nail in the wall. <laughs> it's basically, you know, like commit to it. It's not that big of a deal. Like you patch up the hole in the wall, but like commit to making your spaces comfortable and livable and beautiful. Put the nail in the wall. That should be on a <laughs> shirt. But also, like, I feel like you're speaking to me because I live in an apartment that I rent and I'm afraid to do anything. Like, I I don't want to make it my own. I'm scared of putting anything on the wall. I don't want to lose my deposit. So I I will watch the show. I need this lady in my life. I need modern bohemian, modern baroque. We need some color in your life. Uh, but yeah, it's a great it's a great show. Just following her on Instagram, Carmion Hamilton. She's doing a beautiful renovation or she does these little like projects on her house that have been fascinating to watch. Um, she's building a pool in her backyard. And she did like a few months ago, she did a landscaping project, like a full on landscaping project, which was also really fascinating. So people ask me, what do I watch on Instagram? I watch her and I watch her other interior design friends that she's introduced me to but anyway thank you for letting me rant about how much i love carmion hamilton thank you for sharing i'm following her now too yes okay so before we sign off i we would like to give thanks to cmyk for their music john w our technical producer working really hard because we are a hot mess and most of all Thank you for listening to you all in listeners. You know, we hope you enjoyed learning more about Dorothy and Carmion along with our banter and that we've inspired you to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. So again, thank you. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. You don't know how much that helps. Tell your friends, your people that live in Tuxedo Place, the ones that live in the upper east sides, the ones that live in their rented apartments. Give us five (laughs) stars on iTunes. Write us a review. This all helps us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about amazing ladies with us. And that's what it's about, spreading the word about the Dorothy Drapers of the world. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about these literal women bosses with us because that's our season you can email (laughs) us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com leave a comment on our website shebuildspodcast.com or follow us on instagram and facebook at shebuildspodcast and on twitter at shebuildspod until next time bye ta-ta for now oh ta-ta my darlings ta-ta because of her 
um, ex-husband's bestie, FDR. I just also made that connection. I was like, oh. <laughs> Hey, designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct, the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if, if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers, if you like. <laughs> the official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw. Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations, that's a fun topic on this project follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to unstruct from within your walls hear the story behind how your building stands today <laughs>